Please turn to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. This evening we're going to consider moralists. Moralists. And our passage is Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through to 16. We can read those verses now. I'll be going through them again later, but we'll read the whole thing now. Starting at verse 1. Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to the truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, Treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. To them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honour and immortality, eternal life, but unto them that are contentious And do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath. Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory, honour and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. By way of recap, in Romans chapter 1 verses 16 and 17, the Apostle Paul declared that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. In other words, all who believe the gospel are saved from their sins and they have everlasting life 
They are justified with the righteousness of God, which is revealed in the gospel. Paul spent the first 11 chapters of his epistle unpacking and explaining that cardinal doctrine. Last week we considered the unrighteousness of all who hold down and suppress the truth of God, even though his power is clearly seen in what he has created and what he continually upholds. Such people, having refused to acknowledge God and they refuse to be accountable to God, give themselves over to their heart's lustful desires and to various acts of wickedness, such as can be seen in chapter 1, verses 29-31. to Let's see the consequences of people who, who deny God. You know, the Old Testament says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Well, let's see what the fool does. Looking at chapter 1, verse 29. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. God gives such people over to a reprobate mind to do those things which ought not to be done. Not only do they practice the things that are unseemly, they applaud others who do the same things. Since God has made himself abundantly known in creation, those people have no excuse and they are worthy of the judgment of God and ultimately of death. That brings us now to chapter 2 where we shall consider moralists. People who have an appearance of being pious and outwardly they, 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 they seem to be righteous. They imagine themselves to be accepted by God through their own works of the law and they sit in judgment of everyone else. They are moralists. Let's have a look now at chapter 2, verses 1 through to 3 again. Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, such things being those things and much more besides in that were listed in chapter 1 there, 
that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Paul's words were directed at Jewish moralists, not just Jewish moralists, uh, anyone, as we shall see, if the, if the, if the cap fits, then you wear it. But his words were directed at Jewish moralists who have God's law and who might very, very easily judge pagans for their sinful behaviour. Things that were seen in the previous chapter when the reality is that they too are guilty of committing the same sins. They are guilty of the same unrighteousness deep within their hearts and no doubt in practice also where they can't be seen by anyone else. That ought to be easy enough for us to understand because we can all very easily be the same. Judging others for various things when we do the same things ourselves, even if we're just doing it in our hearts and we haven't put any flesh on it. For example, we can easily judge and condemn sexually immoral people whilst we burn with lust inside our own hearts. We are to love one another, but we can harbour murderous thoughts against each other, even if we don't stick the knife in or pull the trigger. However, that does not mean that you and I have to be silent about sin. There are many churches now, many churches, where people dare not mention the word sin or challenge people to repent of their sins for fear of being judgmental. We don't have to be silent about sin. Far from it. People need to hear. They need to hear about sin. They need to hear about its consequences. But let God be the one who does the judging and the condemning. Even the incarnate Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, came into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. John chapter 3. And when we do give voice to God's judgment to others, we shouldn't be hypocrites. We need to bow to that same judgment with broken and contrite hearts. Whenever I'm preaching on the subject of sin and repentance, which is approximately every single Sunday, I'm preaching to myself as much as anyone else. I make no claim to have holy perfection. I'm a man of like passions. The point not to be missed in verse 1 is that the moralist, whoever he is, is someone who judges others whilst imagining himself to be upright and acceptable to God, when the reality is that he is equally guilty. An example of that comes to us in Luke chapter 18, where the Lord Jesus Christ spoke about two men in the temple. One was a religious Pharisee, and the other one was a tax collector. The Pharisee, vainly imagining himself to be acceptable before God, stood and prayed thus with himself, 
he, let's just read that again. He stood and prayed thus with himself. It sounds like he was talking to himself there. It doesn't actually sound like he was directing his prayer towards heaven. Anyway, he said, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. The world is full of people like that who imagine that God is well pleased with them whilst they point their index finger at others, they fail to see that the other fingers are pointing where? Pointing to themselves. Again, I'm sure you know what I mean. In verse 3, Paul said, And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them that uh, judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God. When you think about it, the moralist is doubly guilty because not only does he commit the same sins as those whom he judges, additionally, he is, he is a hypocrite in that he is guilty, guilty of putting on a mask of piety and righteousness. As has been said, God will take an account not only of their disguised righteousness, but also of their secret motives and feelings. Let's have a look at verses 4 and 5. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath, a revelation of the righteous judgment of God. In these verses, Paul anticipated an objection from moralists who might argue that God's goodness towards them was very clear evidence that God is pleased with them. No doubt the bragging Pharisee in the temple imagined that to be the case. Perhaps you can imagine how the Jews thought that they were, <clears throat> they were unjudgeable and uncondemnable when you consider God's goodness towards them. The Jews whom God delivered from slavery in Egypt, he opened up the Red Sea to make a, an escape route for them. He gave them bread from heaven. He gave them shoes and clothes that never wore out. He did all sorts of things for them, didn't he? He followed them, he, um, he led them by day rather in a pillar of cloud and by, by night in a pillar of fire and so on. They must have thought that they were unjudgeable uncondemnable and finally God gave them a land flowing with milk and honey it was inconceivable to those Jews that the wrath of God could be upon them as it was upon pagans who suppressed the truth of God and worship creatures rather than the creator however God's abundant grace and long-suffering 
are not intended to give people a full sense of security and the, the impression that he is pleased with their unrighteousness and with their hypocrisy. But rather, the goodness of God, what is it for? Why does God uh, make his sun t- to shine on everybody? Why does God give us all the good things that he gives us? All his creatures, but particularly us, human beings, sinful human beings. It's a constant reminder to us of his infinite power. And that knowledge ought to bring people to their knees in repentance and crying out for mercy. Moralists who vainly imagine that God's face is shining upon them are in effect heaping judgment upon themselves as they self-righteously, self-righteously and hypocritically pronounce judgment on others instead of prostrating themselves before God. We'll read verses 6 through to 11. Who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honour and immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory, honour and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. Doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. In verse 6, Paul looked ahead to the day of judgment when Jesus will judge everyone who has ever lived and that judgment will be in accordance with works. We see that there, look at verse 6 again. Who will render to every man according to his deeds, his works. That is works of the law. And that agrees with John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29 where Jesus said, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. So you've got the good and the evil there. The good have life. The evil have damnation. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 12. The apostle John said, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. Works, works, works. At this point, the self-righteous moralist, with all his imagined obedience and uprightness, will surely judge himself to be one who, by patient continuance in well-doing, seeks for glory, honour, immortality 
and eternal life. He is most unlikely to see himself as being disobedient to the truth and obedient to unrighteousness. However, Paul went on to demolish all who imagine themselves to be acceptable to God through works of the law by showing them that it mattered not if a person is a Gentile who has never possessed the law or a Jew who has had the law read to them from infancy in the home, in the synagogue. No no doubt many of them would have read every single word of the law for themselves at Hebrew classes. I've got friends in London, uh, Jewish friends in London. I can remember when their children used to go to bar mitzvah classes and all the rest of it and study the, the law, the laws of Moses. What matters is if a person has lived according to the requirements of the law. I won't ask you to put your hand up if you have lived according to the requirements of God's law. The fact of the matter that neither Jew nor Gentile has. As James said in his epistle, whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point is guilty of all. He was making a point there that if you're guilty of just one little thing, you're guilty of breaking the whole law. The reality is that we're continuously guilty of breaking God's law. Because when you summarise God's law, what, what does it mean? God's law is all about loving God with your whole being. I don't believe there is anyone in this place that loves God with his whole being. And the second great commandment is like unto it, love your neighbour as yourself. It's a tall order, isn't it? And the fact of the matter is that we're all guilty. Let's have a look at verse 12. For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. In verse 12, Paul was saying that all are under condemnation because of sin. He was saying that people will perish in their sins irrespective of whether or not they have been under the law or whether they've ever set their eyes on the law. It makes no difference whether you have the law or not. You will be judged as sinners. Those who have never seen the law will be um, judged apart from the law as sinners. Those who have had the law seen the law, read the law for themselves, the moralist who thinks that he keeps the law, they will be judged according to that law, as sinners. Either way, it's as sinners. First of all, we can consider pagans who have sinned even though they may never have set their eyes on God's law or ever heard of it. I think there are still people, many people, who fit that category in this world. Primitive tribes people and many others besides. No doubt many people in our own land who have never set eyes on God's law. 
Is it fair that they should perish as sinners at the judgment? Be honest. Do you think it's fair that someone who has never heard of God's laws, never seen the Ten Commandments, should perish as sinners at the judgment? In the bracketed verses here, in verses 13, 2 to and including 15, Paul showed that it is perfectly fair. Let's have a look at verses 13 through to 15 in the brackets. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. In verse 13, Paul said that the doers of the law and not the hearers of the law shall be justified. They are the ones who are righteous before God, the doers of the law. Even Gentiles who have never set eyes on God's law can legitimately be found guilty of not doing the law. And that is because, as Paul explained in verses 14 and 15, the work of the law is written in their hearts. This is someone who may never have even set eyes on God's law. The work of his law is written in their hearts. And there's an example of that in Acts 28, when Paul, the apostle, was shipwrecked in Malta. I'm going to turn to it. You can turn to it if you wish. Uh, Keep your finger in Romans chapter 2 and turn back one book to Acts chapter 28. It's just a few pages, in fact. Well, what? Yeah. One page. Acts 28 verses 1 to 4. Paul was heading to Rome and he was shipwrecked at Malta. And we read in verse 1, And when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Melita or Malta, and the barbarous people showed us no little kindness For they kindled the fire and received us, every one, because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said amongst themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. So those barbarians, they saw that viper attach itself to the Apostle Paul. Immediately they thought he's a murderer. It's payback time. He's being judged for his murder, for his sins. 
I don't imagine those barbarians had ever seen the law of Moses. We're not told, but it's reasonable to say that they had probably never set eyes on the law of Moses or on the Ten Commandments. Even so, as a result of having the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience was clearly active within them, albeit wrongly on that particular occasion. They got it wrong concerning Paul. But even so, where did they get this idea of murder, that Paul was a murderer? More to the point, we all have a conscience that excuses us and accuses us as well as others and that is because the work of the law is written in our hearts. It's by no means the whole of God's law but it's certainly enough for us to know right from wrong. All of us. Therefore, coming back to verse 12, the very fact that it is possible to sin without actually having the law written down in a book or read to you somewhere is explained by the fact that the work of the law is written in our hearts. It explains how the whole world, apart from eight people, perished in Noah's time. Think about that. God judged the whole world. Um, It was only Noah and his wife, his three sons, their three wives who were saved. Everyone else perished. That was long before God gave his law to Moses at Sinai. And yet they were judged and they perished as sinners. On that t- at that time, God looked down. He saw the whole earth was filled with violence. They, they, um, the thoughts of their hearts was evil continually, and they were judged as sinners. People, as I say, the, the law of Moses hadn't even come into existence at that time. And so God writes the work of his law in people's hearts, their conscience bearing witness. And you can take that all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Now we will read round the brackets and this will be our final consideration for today. I'm going to read verses 12 and 16. For as many as have sinned without the law, Without law shall also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. You may well ask, what connection does the gospel of Christ have to do with judgment? We're we're judged according to our works. We've already seen that, and that uh, that's repeated time and again in the Bible, judged according to works, works of the law. And yet, we're told in verse 16 here, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. My gospel, Paul said, but incidentally, it's not a different gospel to the gospel of Christ. It's the same gospel, the gospel of Christ that we see in chapter 1, verse 16. 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And we're going to be judged by the Lord Jesus Christ by his, by that gospel. All of us. But what is the connection there? The answer is everything when you consider that the gospel speaks of Jesus becoming obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, and Jesus fulfilling the law's demands. When we just fail at one point, it's as if we've broken all of God's law. Jesus, he never did sin. He fulfilled the law's demands in life and in death. This is the wonderful message in the gospel. That we have a saviour who fulfilled the law's demands on behalf of those who trust in him. Those he came to save. The gospel is all important here. Even if you are someone who can legitimately lay claim to having never set your eyes on God's law, which is most unlikely since your people who come to church, nevertheless, you will be judged according to the gospel as someone who has the work of God's law written in your hearts. Therefore, if you have not already done so, repent as a guilty sinner and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation and for everlasting life, whoever you are. You have no excuse not to. The gospel of Christ, therein is revealed the righteousness righteousness of God. That righteousness of God is all about Jesus fulfilling the law's demands. Don't be like the moralists that Paul was demolishing in chapter 2 here. The one who thinks that he can uh, produce his own righteousness before God through obedience to the law. When When you fail, you fail before you started anyway. Each one of us, we come into this world as sinners, having come into this world with original sin. As David said, um, I was sinful at birth. Um, I was conceived in sin, incended my mother. I was born sinful and incended my mother conceived me. That's it. An acknowledgement that he came into this world as a sinner. Same as the rest of us. We come into this world as sinners and very quickly we show that we have an expertise when it comes to committing sin for ourselves. So let's not be like the moralist who goes around judging everyone else as if we are perfect because you know and I know that we're not. And if there is someone in here still who has that attitude of heart and mind, you need to repent. That's not me judging you. Repent and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour from sin. Amen.